0: If you're just joining us this week, we're um, on our second week into a series we're going to be going through this fall in the book of Acts. And Throughout this series we're going to be um, talking about the mission of God, about how God's mission is first of all a mission to us and it's also a mission through us to the world around us. We're going to be looking at that and the implications of that for ourselves personally and for our church over the coming months. And this morning we're going to be In uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Let's pray together and then we'll uh, take a look at this text. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open up this text to us. Um, it It is your word to us. Would you do your work by your spirit of using it to form us and change us, to instruct us, to warm our hearts, to remind us of the goodness of the gospel. Would you bring those things alive for us even right now? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. If you happen to be using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find this on page 909. <clears throat> so when they had come together, these are the apostles, they asked him, Jesus, <clears throat> Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria unto the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by Him in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. We're going to stop there. <clears throat> we're going to take a look at this text this morning. And we're, we're going to see that this is just one of the pivotal, pivotal texts of the book of Acts. and In fact, it's one of the pivotal texts of the entire New Testament. Because in these verses, we see that Jesus gives uh, his followers a mission. He gives us a mission. And it can be summed up this way, it's the words that Jesus Jesus uses here, that he's given us a mission and it's to be his witnesses in the world. So we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to look at three things about being witnesses in this world. First we're going to look at our aptitude for the mission of God, our part in the mission of God, and our power for the mission of God. Okay, our aptitude for it, for the mission of God, our part in it, and our power for the mission of God. Okay, first our aptitude. We find this in verse 6 before we read that again. If you recall, Jesus has spent um, he spent three years with these disciples, investing his life in them. Um, they, they've, they've traveled with him. They've heard him preach. They've seen him heal. And then as we looked at last week, um, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he spends 40 days with them, talking to them about the kingdom of God, about God's great plan To bring salvation and healing and wholeness. So they've they've, they've had three years plus 40 days of serious, intense uh, instruction and um, time with Jesus talking about these things. And then we get to verse 6. Here's what they ask. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is about to give them their marching orders. Okay, he's about to give them their sense of mission. Before we can get to him, they ask him this question. Um, it was not a good question. John Calvin said about this question, he said, You read this question, and there are almost as many errors in it as there are words. Uh, because they ask him this question Lord, are you, at this time you're going to restore. The Kingdom to Israel and again, this is the kingdom talk that Jesus has been pouring into their lives, and they get it wrong now some of you if you are live in close proximity to small children you you, you have some indication of what you, you know what this is like where where your child asks where you 're going and we're going to the grocery store why are we going to the grocery store well because once again we've run out of food so we 're going to go to the grocery store and then we're going to go five minutes later what, you know where are we going we're going we're going to the grocery store but but why well because we 're still out of food um, you know, you you ask this question and and, and they come right back around to it, or maybe you found this. You, you've been reading a book. Um, I remember this well. I still experience. It. You're a student. You're reading a book. You're studying for an exam, and you've, you've you realize you've gone ten pages and you have no idea. You don't even know what the book is that you're holding in your hand. You have, you don't know what you're reading. You've just read it, and you you come back again and you ask this. What? even know what I'm doing here and that's exactly what's happening with these um disciples because though they have been told about the mission of God in this very question they they betray that they really do not understand the mission of God okay and they misunderstand several things about it again this mission of God of God's bringing his salvation to the world of him extending his kingdom and they asked this question which we and we talked about the kingdom last week but they asked this question you're going to bring your kingdom now to Israel and they understand, misunderstand several things. They misunderstand the nature of God's kingdom. Okay? It's, they think it's, it's only to ethnic Israel. They, they don't get it yet. And they misunderstand the timing of God's kingdom. Are you bringing it right now in all its fullness? And they misunderstand the dynamic of the kingdom. Um, how is it going to be brought in? Is it going to come in as their assumption would be, through great force, through God doing something cataclysmic? Is it going to happen today? Is he going to come in and defeat the Romans today and liberate us? Uh, but for them, they they misunderstand. And these are the people you would think would get it right. I mean, they're the ones that have had the training, and they still don't get it. What was Jesus thinking when he heard this? I've spent three years with you. We spent 40 days going over this, guys. You know. Um, but what's unbelievable here is that Jesus, as he's getting ready to... See, in the rest of our passages, we'll see, is he's getting ready to ascend to heaven. He, he's leaving them with this mission, and they don't get it, and he leaves anyway. Like he doesn't even delay his flight. Just okay. Whoa, whoa. We got okay. Look, let's go back to the basics for a minute. Then I'm gonna leave. Okay. Let's let's have a little review session. He doesn't he doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't seem to be put off by their um, lack of understanding at all. He doesn't extend his trip to solve the very apparent personnel problem that's happening here on the ground for the mission of God. And I think part of what's going on here is that Jesus knows something that we don't know. And Here's what he knows. Uh, Jesus knows that these guys are not the A-team. Okay? They're not the first string. Uh, they're not the first round draft pick. They're not the go-to guys. These are not the winners. These are not the ones that he was counting on to get the thing done. Y'all remember, some of you will remember this, uh, the movie The Bad News Bears. There's been actually a remake, but the original version, Walter Matthau. And Bad News Bears, it's this, this team of little league baseball players that are terrible. Uh, this coach who's this recovering alcoholic comes and takes over the team, and they can't, they can't even make a play. They're, they're horrible. And, of course, you know, and we'll come back to this, you know, the, the season turns around, yada, yada, yada. But it starts out with this team. That just can't get it together. The bad news bears. And if anything, that's what God's people here are. They are they are not they're not the A team. They're not the guys that are gonna go get it done. They aren't impressing anyone. Well, here's the thing by extension, by knowing ourselves in our own lives, we are not the A team either. We're not the first round draft picks either. You know, we're we are we're Jesus' B team at best. Because you see, if you're somebody who's following Jesus, it's not because you're so good, it's not because you're so talented, it's not because you're such an asset to the team. Okay, I've used this story before, but it's just good enough that I have to reuse it. Um, when I was doing campus ministry years ago at another school, uh, there was this, this senior in our, in our chapter, and he uh, was dating a girl whom he later married. Her name was Lisa, and at one point he said to me, not in Lisa's presence, he said, you know, Lisa still thinks that Jesus is just lucky to have her on his team. (laughs) He did marry this girl, by the way. Um, Here's the thing. Jesus is not lucky just to have us on his team. He's not impressed by our gifts, by our talents, by our intelligence. intelligence. He's not impressed by our dedication. He didn't read your resume, and he didn't think, my mission needs her. Or I really need him on my team. He read our re- our resume and said, he really needs me. She really needs me. Now, that takes some of the pressure off for us in a couple ways. One, if you think you are the A-team, and a lot of us do a lot of the time, myself included, what does it do? It humbles us. We are not the A-team we thought we were. Because when you think you're the A-team and you think you have everything all together, that we're an asset to the team, when you think I'm the guy who can finally make it happen, and you realize that you are not, it humbles us. But you see, the downside of being the A-team and finding out that you're thinking you're the A-team and finding out you're not is that it takes a certain amount of pressure off for us. Because you find out that you don't have to perform. And you don't have to always be outperforming the other person, day in, day out. You know what it's like. A-team, you have to stay on top. And the gospel tells us you are not the A-team. You couldn't be if you wish you were. And it takes the pressure off because you've never been on the top. And so it's not a place that you have to retain. It knocks us down from our pedestal. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, it's intervention in our life. knocks us off, of the, off our pedestal. But it's not to squash us or to squelch us or to quench our lives. It knocks us off a pedestal instead to save us from our own performance, which will never be great enough to pull off the mission of God. Now, it also addresses the other extreme. Maybe you're not the person who thinks you're on the A-team. Maybe you're, the other, uh, maybe you're on the other extreme, and you, you so know that you're not on the A-team. You, you can't imagine that God could possibly include you or use you in the mission of God at all. You know you're not the A team. You're not the Z team. You're not in the alphabet. You look, <laughs> you look in your life and you see your failures, which are all too glaring, and your inadequacy is all you see. What does the gospel do for you? Well, it lifts you up. It reminds you that your adequacy is not the issue and never has been. Rather, the, the issue is the adequacy of Jesus given for you. So whether you think you're the A team or whether you think you would never make the team, the gospel both humbles us and lifts us up. Because this team and this work is centered around the person of Jesus. We are, in fact, the B team. Okay, now the second thing that shows us not only our aptitude for the mission, which is not very promising, but also our part in the mission. Look at verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Our part in the mission of God is to be witnesses. Our part in the mission of God is to be witnesses, not warriors or mystics. Okay, and I'll explain those terms in a minute. But our job, our part in this mission is to be witnesses. <clears throat> Witnesses, people who are a part of this plan that God has given to us, witnesses are people that have uh, that are marked by two things. And the first thing is a knowledge of what Jesus has done. Okay, witnesses have something to to tell. Knowledge about what Jesus has done. If you're to look back, feel free to flip back or or just listen. But in Luke 24, at the very end of, of Luke, we have another version of this speech by the same author. Luke's talking about the same the same ascension moment both at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, but he sort of tells the story a little bit differently. In Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 46, here's what he says to the disciples. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. The very dynamics of the gospel. What's he saying? That witnesses are people who have a knowledge of what God has done. That he has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, to rescue people who could not save themselves. He died an atoning, sacrificial death to wipe away the sins, the shortcoming, the outright rebellion of people who were never looking for him to begin with. God came to do that for us. Witnesses are people who have a knowledge of this. They know the ins and outs of what Jesus has come to do for us. Because it means that if we're going to participate in the mission of God, we have to know that we are people with a message to share. Now this is good news, and we need to know the ins and outs of the good news, but that's, that's, not, that's not all there is to it. Witnesses are not simply people who are marked by a knowledge of what God has done, but they are people who have a personal experience of what God has done. Okay. This morning, as I was searching the web for this particular uh, sermon illustration, I looked up Mongolia. Okay, you want to hear about Mongolia? Excuse me, I need some water. My whole family's got a cough right now. We have a family cough recipe, but I wouldn't have been able to preach, so I've got water. <coughs> So I'm looking up Mongolia, and I find the CIA's page on facts about Mongolia. Now, I'm certain that because I clicked on that, that uh, Homeland Security is going to have my email address forever. But I looked on the CIA page from Mongolia, and here's what I learned. Uh, Mongolia is in northern Asia. It borders China and Russia, slightly smaller than Alaska, has a desert climate. It has its natural resources include oil, copper, tungsten, tin, nickel, and silver, and its population is just, just shy of 3 million people. It's Mongolia. Okay, it's, it's one thing to read and to hear somebody tell you secondhand the facts about a country. Okay, but that's not... Very few of you feel moved to go buy a ticket to Mongolia. They have tungsten there. Um, <laughs> because it's one thing simply to hear about the facts, and it's another thing to experience them through the lens of someone who has seen it and been there. Now, I have, <coughs> excuse me, a couple shows that I like to watch on PBS, True Confessions. Uh, Antique Roadshow, I love Antique Roadshow. The other sort of dorky show that I like are the travel shows. Okay, you guys seen Rick Steves. Okay, he's, you know, one of the, he's the, the, the great travel guy that takes you around Europe on $5 a day with the pocket protector. And, like, that, that's Rick Steves. But it's great because he takes you on all the ins and outs of Europe, and you get to see what it's like. And you think, well, if Rick Steves could go do that, I mean, I could, I could go do that. There is, however, another travel, uh, another travel program. For those of you that remember uh, Lonely Planet, okay, the guys on Lonely Planet, they go to all the out-of-the-way places. They go to the places you would never imagine going. And I saw the episode where the guy went to Mongolia. So he's got his backpack on, and he's, you know, he's hiking across the, you know, rugged terrain, and and he runs into this group of nomadic Mongolians uh, with the big furry hats and the whole bit. They invite him, unbelievable welcoming and unbelievable hospitality, and they invite him into these, you know, skin tents. And so he's out there with the nomads, and they have this feast for him as this as this honored foreign guest. And so they kill the lamb and they cook it on the spit and, and the whole bit, and so they have this, they share this meal. And then as the honored guest, he gets the choice part of the meal, and they pass him the eyeballs, and. <laughs> because he was being honored in another culture. So I watched this movie. I watched the show Lonely Planet about Mongolia, and you, you see this guy experiencing just this amazing country and these unbelievably hospitable, totally foreign to Williamsburg people. And you think... Wow, Mongolia. Because there is a difference between reading on the web the facts of the natural resources of Mongolia and hearing about Mongolia from someone who has been there experiencing it and showing it to you. You listen to this guide and you think, that person has been there. They are passionate about this. They know of what they speak. And it opens it up to you in an entirely different way. And that's what's going on with, with these men right here. Jesus is specifically speaking to the apostles. These were 12 now with the. Um, absence of Judas, these 11 men who are Jesus' designated representatives, they are supposed to go be witnesses of the things that they have seen. They've heard Jesus Jesus teach. They've seen him heal. They saw his resurrection. They're the ones that were there when he ate with them in his resurrected body. They have seen all of these things, and he's commissioning them to go be witnesses. Now, one of the things you'll see as we go through the book of Acts is that as these people begin to witness... And as the Holy Spirit comes on them, which is something we're going to talk about next week, that as they witness to others, those people become witnesses themselves. If it were simply a matter of these 11 men taking the message of Jesus to the world, it would not have gotten very far past the first century Judea. But we know what has happened worldwide and through the years as God continues to build his kingdom. Because when God comes to us, and empowers us with the spirit we become witnesses so it's given originally to these 11 apostles and by extension it's for the whole church for everyone who follows Jesus he calls us to be witnesses witnesses who who have a knowledge of the facts of the death and resurrection of Jesus and we are called into this ourselves um, and that means that we too are going to be people that experience Jesus ourselves you have not seeing the physical resurrected body of Jesus like these people have. Uh, but you are someone, if you are someone who's following Jesus, who has had an experience of Jesus coming into your life. Okay, that's just part of the very definition of being a Christian. The Christ comes to us, brings us new life, and begins his long, slow work of actually changing our lives. If you are someone following Jesus, you have had a personal experience of Jesus. But the question is, have we have we really embraced that, and has the mission that that entails really captured our hearts? Uh, for those of you like me that are movie buffs, <clears throat> you know that you you know you can now, you know technology buffs too. I, I've, I hate to count how many sermons I've mentioned iPods and my lust for them, but <laughs> some of you have the video iPod, right, where you can download a movie into this little handheld iPod and, and you can watch it on a three three inch screen um, okay and that's that's cool sort of but I mean think about it for a second you're you're watching this amazing movie on a th- on a three inch screen okay now our experience of the mission of God for many of us is like taking this incredible story and watching it on the video iPod and we're, we're holding it out here or maybe somebody's got it for us on the other end of the room and, and, and you're looking at this this small screen. <laughs> Seeing this story play out, and you can, you can sort of make out the characters, and you kind of get a sense of, I mean, Lord of the Rings on a three-inch screen from arm's length. Give me, give me, give me a break, right? But you, you get a, you get a sense of what's going on. But you also notice if you hold anything out that far from your face, what happens? You, it is, it is just simply one thing in your field of vision, and there's so many other things around it competing for our attention and our vision as well. Person walking in, you know the. The thing happening over there, There's that little screen out in front of us, is one small part of the thing that we are taking in. Now, in contrast to that, when I was a kid growing up, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, the, the, the movie theater of choice was the Bellmead Theater in Nashville. Some of you uh, have experienced a theater like this. Most, most of you never have. It was, it was built in 1940. And it was, it was one screen, none of this you know multiplex thing. Uh, it was designed, it had a balcony. It was designed to seat 1,100 people. And it had the biggest movie screen I've ever seen in my life. OK, now this is where I experienced all my childhood memories. OK, some of you, or all my childhood, Ben's looking at me like, all my childhood movies, thank you. <laughs> I didn't see that many movies. But the movies I saw, I experienced them there. Thank you, Ben. If you're roughly in my age, you, you'll remember some of these. I remember standing in line that came out the, the front of the theater and down the side and into the parking lot, waiting with a million other kids to go in and see The Empire Strikes Back. And if you look around you in line, you see the kids that are dressed up like Darth Vader and Boba Fett. It wasn't me. Um, that's where I saw Indiana Jones. That's where I saw Top Gun twice. That's where I saw Dead Poet Society. All the... The movies of my childhood were seen at the Bellmead Theater. And I love that theater because, again, the screen was enormous. And it just filled your whole field of vision. And you felt like you were in another world as you were sitting in this amazing, huge theater. We are called to be people who are witnesses. And that means that we need to experience the gospel from a front row seat at the Belmead Theater. And not by looking at our iPod from across the room. We have to experience it this way, where it is that big in our eyes, that it's looming that large. And so our question is, are we experiencing the gospel this way? And if not, well, then we're never going to be able to do what Jesus calls us to be, calls us to do. We're never going to be effective at this being witness, being a witness because you don't have much to witness to. How are you going to become a big? How's this the gospel going to become big screened for us if it's not already? Well, only by seeing our need for Jesus and the provision of Jesus, not simply in the past when we first became Christians. If you're someone who is, but the provision for Jesus in for us in the present, right now, in the middle of our real struggles, in our real and current sin, in the middle of our fresh Heartache in the middle of our present anxiety, unless we see Jesus' goodness to us in that, then it's never going to be on the big screen in our lives. Because as Christians, we tend to think that, a, that having a witness, having a testimony is something that goes like this <clears throat> it's, it's this story of our initial conversion to Christ and something cataclysmic that happened in our lives. And there are three ingredients in most testimonies. Here, the, here they are <clears throat> I was really bad. I mean really bad. The worse, the better for the testimony. I was really bad. Jesus saved me, and now I'm really good. Okay? That's that's the substance of most testimonies. Seeing Jesus, the mission of God for us on the big screen, means seeing it as the most relevant, desperately needed, amazing, beautiful thing in your life right now. Not simply where Jesus met you in the past, but where Jesus is presently meeting you in the middle of your continuing sin and struggle, difficulty, pain, alienation, having a testimony of the fact that our Savior who saved us is our Savior who continues to hold us and change us and bring real comfort and real healing and real sustenance in the midst of the very real pains of life that continue to come at us just like they come at everyone else. You need Jesus right now as much as you ever did. You need him right now as much as you did the week before you first came to faith. Even if you had the dramatic testimony. He is the one holding and sustaining you now. Jesus right now is the one coming to you in his grace and forgiveness and healing. Meeting you in the middle of your very present need for him. You have not graduated. You have not moved on from a complete and utter need for the forgiving, forgiving, reconciling love of Jesus. A need for the mission of God to you. We are always in need of that. Until we have a big screen view of that, we're not going to be very effective witnesses to Him. So He calls us to be witnesses, but there are two things He calls us not to be, just briefly. First, He calls us not to be He calls us to be witnesses, not warriors. And warriors are what the disciples wanted to be. That was their knee-jerk reaction. When are you going to bring the kingdom back to Israel? When are you going to defeat all our enemies? When are you finally going to bring peace and a universal recognition of you, when are you going to finally bring that for us? See, warriors try to bring in the kingdom by force. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time come and finally win the culture wars for us? Here's what John Stott says about the the kingdom and its spread. The kingdom is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers, through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war. And by the work of the spirit, not by force of arms, political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. Not warriors, but witnesses. And if you know a little Greek, you know the, the, word, the Greek word for witnesses is the very word from which we get the word martyr in all its connotations. Because those who participate in the reality of God's kingdom by their faithful, loving, strong witness, but not by war, will be witnesses because warriors kill for a kingdom, but witnesses, again also martyrs, are willing when necessary not to kill for a kingdom, but to die for one. And Jesus came to make us witnesses, not warriors, but also not mystics. Whereas warriors try to bring the kingdom by force, mystics are those who retreat to this privatized corner of the kingdom where it can all be all about me and Jesus. They don't want to force the kingdom on anyone. In fact, they don't really commit themselves to the mission of the kingdom at all. It's just about me and Jesus. It's his privatized religious spiritual experience. But the text doesn't let us land here either. Look at verses 10 and 11. As Jesus ascends into heaven, while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. It said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Jesus ascends, and what happens? There they are, staring in wonder up into the heavens, frozen in place. And these two angels, which is what these were, appear to them and say, what are you all doing? Yeah. He just left, and he's coming back. And right now you have a You have a mission. Your life is not going to be spent gazing into the heavens simply waiting for his return, but by knowing him, by engaging in the mission which he has given you, to be his witnesses in the world. So he calls us to be witnesses, not warriors or mystics. But then just briefly the third thing about this passage. We also see um, not only our aptitude for the mission and our part in the mission, but but our power for the mission of God. Look at verses 8 through 12. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. What happens here? This is one of the most bizarre things in the Bible. Okay, these They've been spending time with Jesus, and they come out to the spot, and Jesus gives them this, this these final marching orders, this, this command to go be witnesses. And then um, Jesus rises up into the, into the clouds and is gone. And it, it's hard when you picture that not to see some sort of strangely caricatured version of Jesus standing on this little cloud and sort of floating up into the sky. Um, but here's one of the things it would have meant to them. They would have likely thought back to pictures of the glorious son of man in the book of Daniel who is seen riding on the clouds in glory. This is a picture of God's majesty, of Jesus' majesty as he ascends to heaven, not so that he can simply disappear from the world, but so that he can take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father as our seated reigning king. That's what happens when they see Jesus ascend to heaven. Our power for the mission of God is two things, and one of it is that our king is reigning in heaven. The last thing they see of Jesus is him ascending to his place the right hand of the Father, and that is good news for us. Because it means that our Savior is still very much at work. The King is, in fact, on his throne. And so we can have great assurance and comfort, confidence in this mission that he sends us out on because our King, the one who guides our mission and upholds us, is even now reigning. And as we see, we're promised that he is, in fact, going to come back. But not only do we have a reigning king that provides the power for our mission, we also see here that he doesn't leave us alone in any sense at all. He says, wait here until you receive the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a lot next week. But Jesus makes it very clear for them, that, and he uses this word, that their power to be witnesses comes from the Holy Spirit. Can you remember our story about the bad news bears and... The Apostles and the B Team and, and we're the Bad News Bears. Well, what begins to happen in, in the movie The Bad News Bears is they, they start to, they get a couple actually good though misfit players on their team and the coach kind of turns things around and they begin to win games. In fact, they become this incredible all-star team. And one of the impressions you're left with when you watch the Bad News Bears or, or any movie of this, in every other sports movie about the down and out team that's no good that turns it around, what do you learn in the end? that they are champions, and that they had it in them all along. And the gospel says, no. We're not the bad news bears in that sense. The bad news bears had it in them all along. And Jesus makes it emphatically clear that we don't. When he says we're the B team, he really means it. And He doesn't say you're going to accomplish this mission by discovering yourself, by good teamwork, by digging down deep. He says, the only way you're going to accomplish this mission is if I give you power for it in the person of the Holy Spirit. You are such the B team. There is no hope for you (laughs) aside from the ongoing empowering work of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And that, the good news is, is exactly what Jesus promises us. We never get to be the A team. We never get that. We serve a reigning king who, this passage tells us, gives us the power to actually go and witness to the world about the death and resurrection and life of Jesus Christ because he empowers us by his very own spirit. If we're going to be people who are going to step into that, we're going to need to be people who are willing not to be the A-team. And we're going to need to be people who more and more over time are putting away our iPods and gaining a big screen view of the grace of God at work now in the middle of our lives. And our desperate need for that and the abundant provision of Jesus for us now. If you see that, you will have something to give witness to. Not the small screen Jesus, but the enormous, reigning, all-sufficient Christ. Who is sufficient for you and is sufficient for me. And is sufficient for those who are lost and do not know Jesus. And we're going to be able to do this. And we're going to be able to step into this and watch God work because of the power of the Spirit. But we are people with a mission. May we be people who encourage each other in this mission and step into it faithfully. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us the unbelievable and certainly undeserved privilege of participating in your mission to save this world. Not not by being warriors, not by being mystics, but by being witnesses that point to the finished work of, of Christ on the cross for us and that can give personal first-hand testimony of the power of that in our own lives. May we see you more clearly. May we see your beauty more clearly. May we share it with those around us. And may we see your work of changing the world through the witness of your people by the power of your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.